May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Tom Brady, you just won the Super Bowl. What are you going to do now? The answer? I'm going to Disney World, right? This is the answer to this question. Um, having accomplished a great career goal, what are you going to do now? I'm going to Disney World. I always thought it was be great if they did it like for other careers as well, don't you? I mean, like not just the quarterback of the Super Bowl winning team or, or the uh, starting pitcher of the baseball team that won the World Series, but what if they did it like in other careers, you know, like... Jim, you just hit 99% efficiency and quality control. What are you going to do now? <laughs> I'm going to Disney World. You know, Barbara, you just won the Simmons case. What are you going to do now? I'm going to Disney World. Father Joe, you nailed that sermon. What are you going to do now? I'm going to Disney World. <laughs> that would be awesome, I think. Um, it, what about the other side, though? You know, like nobody ever asked the losing quarterback. You know, hey, you know. Um, Coach caught a really bad play. You threw an interception and lost the Super Bowl at the last second. When you had the best running back in the game, what are you going to do now? Well, I tell you what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to Disney World, right? It'd be cruel. Jim, uh, I want to talk to you about that poor performance and quality control. <laughs> yeah, um, uh, Barbara, you totally blew it with the Simmons family, you know. And Father Joe, did you even open the Bible before you started that sermon? You know, like nobody does that. That's just mean. If somebody does ask you a question after a big career flop, it probably goes something like this, you know, like, so, Jane, honey, um, have you thought about what you're going to do now? I mean, you can't sleep on my couch forever. You know, you eventually have to get a job. This is going to have to change. When I was a kid, um, there was a program on Saturday mornings that I used to watch called ABC's Wide World of Sports. Does anybody remember that? That was like a great program. It began with this montage of scenes of these, these athletes, you know, a boxer or a swimmer, you know, whatever, a javelin thrower, I mean, all these kind of different things. And, and the voiceover would say, the thrill of victory. And then you'd see some guy getting a medal put around his neck or, you know, standing, th- pumping his fist in the air. And the agony of defeat. And at the, right when he says the agony of defeat, there's a guy who's, who's coming down uh, the ski jump. And, you know, the one with no pole, he's just coming down and he, he's going to jump, but he misses the jump. And he just kind of does this sort of helicopter, arms and legs flailing as he flies off into the crowd. It, it was the same scene every week. And, and everybody in my neighborhood knew that, you know. Be, you wanted to watch the program not just for the sporting event, but for the opening scene. You wanted to see, you know, the thrill of victory and, and wait for it, wait for it. Here comes the agony of defeat where the guy comes down and he crashes into the crowd. Um, everybody wants to be a champion, but nobody could look away from the agony of defeat. We wanted to see it. Imagine that guy at a dinner party. You know, the guy who is the agony of defeat guy. You know, c- can you imagine it? Like, Hey, David, good to meet you. How you doing? Yeah. What do you do for a living? Oh, you're in skiing, are you? Um, maybe I've seen you uh, somewhere before. <laughs> yeah, you know, the Saturday morning thing. Yeah, that's me. Uh, that would be awful, wouldn't it? You'd be that guy who's forever known and somewhere he's out there. The disciples of Jesus, I think, knew something about, like, career wipeout. You know, like, they, they, had, um, they had followed Jesus for three years. They'd been his closest friends. They were, they were there with him through everything. And then all of a sudden, seemingly without warning, he goes from being hailed 
king riding into Jerusalem on a donkey to the next thing you know, he is um, arrested, tried, and violently executed. And so all their hopes and dreams had been placed upon him, but then they are afraid. You know, they, they run off. They, they, they find some way to, to get out of the way and to hide. They're nowhere around when Jesus goes through this. They have, um, they have abandoned him, and now they're wor- worried about being labeled as co-conspirators. And so they're in a house with doors locked. Here's what John says. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, this is the first Easter day, in the evening, the, the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews. First Easter, hiding in a house, afraid that somebody might come and get them. And I think we had been afraid as well, a very real possibility that they might be snatched up and, and rounded up. But you know, what started with one person could become like a, a feeding frenzy of arrest. And they could be there and, and would be next. I noticed that Thomas wasn't there, and you, you caught that one as well. I've often speculated as to why he wasn't there. You know, like maybe they drew straws, like somebody has to get food, right? So they draw straws, and Thomas gets the short straw, like he's got to go out and get it. Or maybe he was the bravest of all, you know, like I'm not afraid, I'll go out and do it, you know. So he goes out, or maybe he was afraid, and he still decides to go out and buy food. Or maybe he had a friend who lived in the city and he thought maybe he could get some news as to what's going on and and see if there are any more arrests and plans. Whatever the reason, Thomas isn't there when Jesus shows up. This is the first, in John's uh, John's account, this is the first um, uh, sighting of Jesus after the resurrection. They're in the house, the doors are locked, the fear is palpable, and John writes um, that Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. I think it's interesting that Jesus is in the house where the doors are locked. John is careful to tell us. Two times he tells us that the doors are locked. And there are multiple doors. That apparently they're all locked. And Jesus comes and he stands among them. He doesn't tell us how that happens. He just is there. He wasn't there and then he is. No one says anything about the doors being unlocked. So I imagine a couple emotions. The first one would be the startled emotion. You know, like when you walk up behind somebody and they don't hear you coming and you say something and they jump and, you know, this probably happened. But also, I think um, a a little bit of shame as well, don't you? They had abandoned Jesus. They swore they wouldn't do that and then they did it. They had abandoned him. They were nowhere around when he was tried and executed. And so here he is in the midst of them. I imagine they're expecting him to say something like, you're fired. <laughs> no more. Where were you guys? You know, at the very least, shame them a bit. But he doesn't, does he? He says to them, peace be with you. Peace be with you. And then he goes on to this. As the Father sent me, so I send you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. He goes on to say, if you forgive the sins of any, they're forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they're retained. Not only are they not fired, they're commissioned. They're given a gift. The Holy Spirit, you, you, you're still in. You're still part of my community. I don't think that this is right. It seems like Jesus has missed the, the sort of you know, job performance thing. Like They failed. They didn't do what they were supposed to do. Of course, Thomas wasn't there, was he? We already speculated on his whereabouts. He's gone. But I imagine him coming back. 
you know, a couple bags of groceries in his hand, right? Some bread sticking out of this. And he comes in and everybody says to him, you're not going to believe this. The Lord is alive and we've seen him. And they go on and, and four or five people are talking at the same time. Oh, this is what he said and this is what he was wearing. You can't believe it. We even saw like the scars. It was, it was unbelievable. It's really him. And Thomas somewhere along the way stops them and says, no, no, no. Unless I see, you know, the, the, the verbs of John, you know, unless I see the wounds, unless I put my finger in them, he says, Unless I thrust my hand in his side. The word he uses is balo. It's the word we use for throw. In, in, or the word that they would use for throw in the ancient world. It's a very kind of violent word. It's not a soft, tender, you know. It, it's I want, I want a clinical um, examination. I want to make sure that you're not confused, that it is the right person. I want proof. A disciple of Jesus has one job. <laughs> Believe. Right? Faith is like... It's like job number one. And Thomas totally fails this job. And you heard the story eight days later. They're back in the house. Doors are again locked. They're again huddled in for fear. And Jesus again shows up. Once again, John doesn't tell us how he gets in the house. Just he wasn't there. And then he is there. Something mysterious is going on. And he leaves us to live with that mystery. Jesus comes in and says the exact same thing. Peace be with you. And then he says to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. I don't like the translations that we have. Do not doubt, but believe. Um, apostos is the word that Jesus uses. Pistos is faith. You stick, it, you stick a, a, an A or an alpha in front of it and it, it negates the word. We do this with a lot, like the word typical. You put an A in front of it and it becomes atypical, right? Meaning not of the typical nature a moral, you put the A in front of it, it becomes amoral, without morality. This is without faith. It's not doubt. Doubt is, is, is faith's, you know, kind of cousin. It's the other side of the coin. It's where uh, just a lack of certainty. But this is without faith. Thomas, stop being an unbeliever and believe. And then the language. Jesus uses his languages. Put your finger here. Look right here. Thrust your hand in my side. Um, I thought about how this language is so, is so clinical and so precise. Um, and is how different it is from the sort of tender language that we use. A, a number of years ago, my oldest son was, was um, out playing in some snow, and he was, like, snowboarding down this, uh, this hill. And um, he, he was trying to jump this, this little ramp that they made out of snow. And to make it a ramp, they put water on it and, and made ice, you know. And so when he went over the ramp, he fell backward and he hit his head on this ice. And, you know, it was a little gash, I don't know, maybe an inch and a half. But it bled like crazy. I mean, there was blood all over the snow and everywhere. And, and his mother, of course, ran and got a towel and put it on his head. And, and we rushed him to the hospital, as you would do. And, and she was really careful to hold that, you know, that towel on there to, to soak up the blood and to keep, try to stop it from bleeding. And, and the nurse looked at it, you know, and, and she kind of uh, cleaned it up a little bit. The physician came in and said, oh, yeah, we need to, we need to clean this up and shave a little bit here. It's gonna, we're going to have to put some things in here to, to stop it. She didn't really say. She's like, you know, we're going to have to do something here to attach it. I'm thinking stitches. Do you know that they put staples in, in human beings now? <laughs> you wouldn't think this. but um, And so the nurse very carefully cleaned and shaved that little spot up there. 
And then the physician came in, this young woman, and, and she looks at the, at the boy, and, and she just kind of takes him like this and then throws him in a headlock, like, real quick. And at the same motion, had reached her other hand down into her lab coat and pulled out this stable gun and boom, 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 like as fast as you could imagine, had three staples in his head. I was stunned. I, I wanted her to do it again and watch it because I wasn't ready, you know. <laughs> this is the way a clinician does things. It's so different from the way a mother cares for a wound. Jesus says to Thomas, come, inspect, have a look. And then stop being an unbeliever and believe. But I think the most surprising thing about that is that Jesus condescends to do what Thomas had demanded. Unless I see and touch, I won't believe. You know, there's no um, evidence that Thomas actually did do what Jesus told him to do. The only thing he does is he responds, My Lord and my God. It's a crazy kind of statement to make. It's the most blatant um, statement about Jesus' deity you'll find anywhere in the New Testament. My Lord and my God. I thought about how Easter is really for people who have failed. It's for those who huddle in fear. It's for those who have experienced the agony of defeat. Easter is hope for people who are without hope. And it's not just that God gives us in Easter something that cheers us up. It it, it does cheer us up. But it's more than that. Easter doesn't just give us a a, a pep, you know, talk. It's not just an emotional boost. It actually gives us something to do. Having been restored to hope, having been restored to community, having failed and having that failure turned around into um, a, a, a sense of relief, go. Go set other people free. This is what Jesus says, right? The whole thing about forgiving sins and retaining them isn't about the, the superpower that the apostles have. It's about what the church is to do, to go into the world and to announce the forgiveness of sins, of being set free. And if people don't want to be set free, well, then they're not going to be, but they can have that opportunity to be set free. Go make a better life for others. And so the question comes to us personally, right? Ever felt like a failure? Ever felt like you really messed it up? Ever felt like your job performance was really, really bad? Well, welcome to the club. This is the human condition. And that means that Easter is for you and for me. But it also means when we leave church today, having experienced the resurrected Christ, having come into his life in his community, that having received his peace, having received this, this gift of faith, that we're not to keep it to ourselves. We're to take this joy into the world as well. Go and share it. So, tell me, having just experienced the miracle of resurrection, what are you going to do now? Well, the answer isn't go to Disney World, <laughs> right? I'm going to go into the world and share this good news with others. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.